at SFM Radio and at Pimelo Mutile on Twitter. All right, so I said that every week we're going to check in uh, on uh, people who are well-versed in medicine. I don't even know if there's an expert in such a thing as COVID-19 because it's so new. And um, I was talking to a health official the other day who said to me um, a couple of things. But one of the things she said to me was, you know, let's just remember that none of us are experts because we know so little about the virus. So we have committed ourselves to taking your questions every single week and and updating you with what is uh, new information coming out of either the World Health Organization or other quarters as well, and maybe information around here uh, that we can share with you. So if you want to have the questions answered, this is the time to do it. 0891-104-207. I'm back with Professor Beatrice Fielding, a Director of Research Development at the University of the Western Cape and virologist specializing in coronavirus. Uh, Professor Fielding, thank you so much for joining us one more time and making the time to talk to us. Good afternoon, Pamela. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not trying to be silly, but uh, the last time we spoke, um, I did say you're not a specialist in other things, but um, um, I think we were speaking about pain. Were we speaking about pain, Professor I Fielding? Think we were, I think we were speaking about inflammation yes. and some of the symptoms associated with with COVID-19. Yes. All right. Yeah. Um, so the one person I spoke to this past weekend, Professor Fielding, was saying, you know, in as much as we do, as much as we 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 do in the field of, of trying to understand the virus and so on, we still don't know um, a lot about the virus. So I saw that there was a report that came out of the World Health Organization um, and they're saying, and I don't even know if that's the right term, but they're saying they with withdrawing some of the statements they made about asymptomatic patients. is Am I correct in framing it that way? Yes, so I was very excited um, when the statement was made that asymptomatic carriers are not huge, hugely responsible for spread of the virus. Um, because, you know, that changes the entire ballgame. However, the following day, the WHO retracted um, their statement. So essentially what they were saying that somebody who is infected with the virus but shows no symptoms um, could be infective. So that is what we, we've kind of thought throughout the entire pandemic mm. thus far. Um, so when they said that it is, yes, it can happen, but the, the number of asymptomatic carriers um, being responsible for transfer of the virus is very, very small. You know, that really made me excited. Only for the WHO to the next day then, retract and said to say that they really do not have enough information to make that type of statement. Sure. Unfortunately, it's still a concern for us. It's a big one because I, I've seen some people, in fact, I saw one very prominent South African who was tweeting that they test, tested positive. However, I am assuming that she is asymptomatic, but was kind of, you know, making really random statements like, I feel like I want to go out and I kept thinking to myself, this is definitely an asymptomatic behavior. Anybody who's really sick would not be sitting on Twitter telling us that I feel like drinks or I feel like going out <laughs> or whatever. So it, it, it is quite real that when you are tested positive and you don't show signs, it doesn't mean you're not a hazard. Exactly. And what is even more worrying is that many people who will never be tested mm. are probably asymptomatic. Because remember, if you do not show symptoms, mm. why would you be tested? So we could, in theory, have quite a large number of, of our population walking around, no symptoms, but being infective. So you, yes, you can still be infective. So you can still Don't. infect others. Professor Fielding, let's let's stick to that point and ask about the the temperature thing. So, 
I mean, that's quite scary to say that you, you, you know, you could be positive, be asymptomatic and have absolutely no sign, not even, not even a temperature, right? Yes. So, so a very large portion of, the, of those infected have very mild symptoms. So it feels, you know, you just don't feel totally 100%. So very mild, but there is this portion that has absolutely no symptoms and can be infected. Yes. So they are the asymptomatic areas. The good, the, the good thing is that these persons typically have a, a low viral load. So the, the number of the viruses in the person's system um, is low. So they are not as infective as others. And, and that is typically what has been seen for other for the other coronavirus. So then let's talk about that low viral load because yes. I also heard that you could test negative hmm. but still carry a low viral load. So I, I've, I've heard of the past three days, I've heard of some people who haven't been tested negative, mm-hmm. but they have the symptoms. Yes. So, so remember that the symptoms are not necessarily due to COVID. It could be influenza Correct. or another virus. Yep. However, there is something called a window period. So it is really when the virus number in your system is too low for the, for the kit, to pick for the kit. test, to pick it up. Um, and, and that's why when you get tested is very important. So from about day four, day five onwards, that is when the kit, the, the testing kits are, are more, more accurate. Now, that, now that, that you've seen now, you see now, you have just put a, a spanner in the works. You, you see now, you have just <laughs> messed it all up for us all. Okay, I'll take those calls on 0891-104-207. I, I can promise you now so many people want to ask you about that specific point because okay. um, we think we know, hey? We just don't know what we don't know. 20 minutes after Exactly. Mutine on SAFM. Welcome to the show. We have a regular update on COVID-19 and our Professor of uh, Information today is Professor Beatrum Fielding, who's a Director of Research Development at the University of the Western Cape and virologist and specializing in coronavirus. And we're really talking about all the updates that keep coming through. So, Prof, um, the thing about the low viral load, and when this was explained to me, there was also a bit of detail about well, it depends where the so they if they use that cotton bud thing, yeah. it depends where you know that person picked up the cells right mm. to test. Sometimes where they've gone, whether it's the throat or the nose, may not be where you you've got your very strong viral loads. It, it, what I'm asking maybe is, does it matter where? where that person finds the virus in the body. I was actually going to, to mention that to you now as well. If you look at um, SARS from 2003 and MERS from 2014, yeah. and then the circulating coronaviruses as well, if you look at the literature for them, it is very clear from the literature that it's not only when the, the sample is taken for testing, yes. it is also the site of collection. So whether, whether it's from the lung, yes. the type of, 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 of sample as well, whether it's sputum, yes. whether it's a, nas- a nasal aspirate, yes. um, all of those can influence the accuracy of the test and depending on the type of test that you are doing. So then is it wise to ask um, the patient, where, should I, where are you most comfortable? So it, it's not really about the most comfortable. It is really about the timing of when the person is 
is infected, and that's very difficult to determine, um, especially if the person, um, the symptoms can be remembered, develop any time from about, what, three days to about seven days. Mm-hmm. So at what point did you collect that sample? Um, the most comfortable, the most easy way to take the sample at the moment is from from the nasal passage. But I mean, r- right now you get you get a choice. You get the nasal passage or the throat. Yeah. So, yeah. and and it's a okay. You pick. You know, it is it is still it is still a roll of the dice. Um, yeah. So so it is really this test um, um, sure. test or screens for the genetic material of the virus in the body. Okay. And at the moment, that is still the gold standard test, mm. and it is the most accurate test. Yeah. Prof, let's just take a voice note for some of the questions coming through. Hi, this is Lehman in Poloqua. Now that it's been confirmed that you can actually have the virus, but yet do not have symptoms, is it not good reason to close the schools because we might be sitting home, relaxed, thinking that our children are safe, and only to find that they're spreading coronavirus amongst themselves and uh, and obviously it will end up with us parents at home and sisters and brothers. Thank you. So, Prof, I mean, I know he's honing in on, on the schools. I just want to broaden it a little bit and, and see what your take is on this one. In terms of what you've seen and how long we are likely to be living with this virus for, depending on vaccines and so on, is your view that we should rather go out and start finding ways to live with the virus or stay in that lockdown kind of phase? So I've been I've been very unpopular um, mm. in certain circles because from day one I said do not lock down to remove the virus from the human population. Mm-hmm. Lockdown to to spread out um, the curve to flatten the curve that's good because that allows us time to prepare the medical fraternity. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think this virus is here to stay. I think it would probably become one of the circulating viruses. Mm. So how have we adapted as people? to mitigate the influence of influenza or flu every year. Mm. Maybe this is the same question. So maybe just to answer your caller as well. So remember in, in anybody under 19, the mortality rate at the moment is 0.5%. So it's a very, very small mortality rate in, in under 19. And even those who have died, those very few, they had comorbidities, so they had other diseases. Mm. The question is, uh, so kids can become infected and they can be infective. Mm. How do we stop the spread uh, to the adult that is at risk? Mm. And that is really the, the concern that I have. So, so I'm very comfortable with opening schools because kids are at very, very low risk of developing severe disease. However, if that child in, is, comes from a family where we have high-risk individuals, mm. that is the question. How do we prevent that spread? And I mean, in a perfect world, I suppose we would say everybody that comes back to school would be tested, but they still go back home. So that cycle yeah. is not quite sustainable, that whole testing thing, only once. It's not sustainable. Exactly. Unless if you have a high-risk individual at home, so above 55 with comorbidities, somehow keep that person separated from from the child, which okay. is not always uh, possible in our, in our settings. L- let's talk about having the virus now that we've gone past the testing phase and having the virus and i find that we're not talking a lot about the 
what does it mean to be in isolation? What does it mean to be in quarantine? What does it mean to actually, because we talk about self-quarantine and self-isolation. Okay. So in a, in, a, in a situation where you live with other people and the only option is for you to be locked in your room and that's how we're going to self-isolate you. Talk to us about how practically that works out. So can you share the bathroom with other people, for instance? So that is the most the most difficult um, one to control because essentially it would mean keeping yourself removed from everybody in your household as much as possible. Yeah. So it wouldn't tell you wearing your mask, the others in your household wearing the mask when there is unavoidable contact, frequently sanitizing your bathroom, for instance, frequently sanitizing the surface surfaces, frequently hand washing. Because remember, this is um, respiratory spread of the virus, but it can also be spread from surfaces. So it is really then very proper um, mitigating circumstances to minimize that spread in your household. Okay. And then, I mean, just practical stuff like utensils. So if this person, you know, we, we the rules are that just leave the food maybe outside the door, they will fetch it themselves. But then you take that plate back the kitchen right so yes. should we keep it separate should, should we you know keep their things away from other people's things so so uh, going to that length is not needed because normal sanitation and normal cleaning with soap ah. would be enough to inactivate the virus okay got you all right so that so that would be kind of as, as long as you wash the dishes then we yes. fine Remember, we say hand washing either with a sanitizer or soap. Yes, yes. So the soap can break apart the viral particles. It's interesting how it's, it can sound so simple and yet so difficult at the same time. Um, because we're getting all of this different information yeah, from all over. Yeah. Professor Fielding, I'm going to ask that you maybe just give us two minutes to take the headlines because there are a lot of people who are waiting uh, to talk to you and then we'll be back with more questions. It's 1.30. Let's go to Utsi Lesaku for the latest in headlines. Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. Hello, this is GS from Middleback. Uh, Pimelo, will you please ask the doctor to give clarity here? The person who has had this COVID-19 and who has fully recovered, is it possible that they can uh, be infected again and possibly or probably get sick from, from reinfection? Thank you. So my guest this afternoon is Professor Bertram Fielding, who's a Director of Research Development at the University of the Western Cape. We continue our weekly update on COVID-19. And Prof, thanks for staying with us. Did you get the question? Yes, I did. And it's an amazing question. I'm being asked that question very frequently. Yeah. So at the moment for COVID-19, we just do not know. Okay. It appears as though you are resistant for a time being. However, if we look at SARS from 2003, and we look at samples from people who were infected. Remember, your body produces antibodies that remove the virus from the system. And in theory, that antibody should protect you from subsequent infections. We see for SARS from 2003 when blood samples were tested subsequently, those antibodies disappeared from the human, from the person's body. And we see the similar occurrence in the four coronaviruses that circulate in the human population every year. So you, for the other coronaviruses, you can be infected, you can produce antibodies, but that antibody disappears in about two to three years, and then you can be infected. Will that be the case for COVID-19? Too early to tell, and we do not know yet. Prof, let me ask you, 
the similarities okay so we know that the symptoms are very similar so if i said to you okay we have a specific strain of what is now what the, you would call the common flu it's very difficult for somebody like me to understand that because the strains change every year don't they i mean so it's a it's a hit and a miss even when we do the vaccine we're not quite sure we just kind of think we're going to give you a strain that is going to be the strain likely to hit you this year. Yes. If you do get what we would deem to be the common cold, are you then less likely to get the coronavirus because of the similarities? Are they are they close enough relatives to give you a sense of protection once you've had the common flu, or is that a silly question? No, it is not. And the simple answer is that scientists simply do not know yet. Mm -hmm. However, there has been speculation that both um, COVID-19 and SARS and MERS for, for that matter yes. have been much milder in kids. And one of, and, and some researchers have speculated it's much milder because kids are more frequently exposed to the other coronavirus and develop <laughs> um, cold-like symptoms. Oh, I see. So that is a very important question to study actually, whether it does confer some form of resistance Yes or no? Ha. Huh. So that doesn't mean if you've had the common flu, you can't get the COVID-19. I mean, it's so, a simple... So, simple so not flu, so the common cold caused by coronavirus. Remember, flu is caused by the influenza virus, which is not even in the same family. Yes, I hear you. I but hear the you. Common, but the but common... Indeed, 10 to 30% of the common colds um, globally is caused by these four coronaviruses that circulate um, every year. Mm. And And... And possibly, if you get one of those, possibly, maybe you are less likely to get the coronavirus. Or, groups, or, have, groups have speculated that in children that could be the case. Yeah. There, there is no strong support for that, yeah. but it would be something interesting to, 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 to look at. Remember, there was even some speculation that um, some of the child, what's a BCG, childhood vaccine could confer um, resistance. So even that is being studied globally at the moment. All right, let's take some more questions. Hi, my name is Tony from Durban. Just the lady, the person talking there now has got such a good point. I believe this lockdown should be totally stopped because if you're going to get it, you're going to get it anyway. And they say it's on the uphill, so is it gonna, it's never going to be controlled and it looks like it's going to carry on for many, many days and it's going to be with us for the future. So I believe just open and just keep a control on yourself and it should be fine. Thank you. Bye. Uh, good day. Uh, please, can you, clarify, can you clarify for me, please? Is recovering from COVID-19 the same as being cured? Because to me, I don't understand what is the difference between being cured and being recovered from COVID-19. Thank you. Prof, did you hear that? Simply, it seems as though those two terms are used interchangeably. Mm -hmm. So there is no cure for COVID-19. So there is no medical cure. What does happen is your body produces antibodies that clears the virus from your system. So it removes the virus. When the virus is removed from your system, you are cleared from viruses, obviously, and then you are cured. So it's being used interchangeably at the moment. But there is no medical cure. So you cannot go to the doctor and they give you a recognized drug and you will be cured. That cannot happen. It's all a natural process at the moment. 
Okay. And and so what to take once you now know you have it? Is it is it just things that will just numb the pain, I suppose? But nothing, it, is all, yeah. it is all supportive, unfortunately, at this mm. point in time. Okay. Mike in Lichtenberg, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Camilo. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Camilo, uh, let's just uh, get this thing right. Mm. Uh, where this thing started in Wuhan, in China, mm-hmm. China has got so many uh, towns. Mm. Now, can uh, the professor tell me there, tell us why it uh, happened only in Wuhan where the coronavirus was uh, discovered and then many people seem to have died there and yet still in china the beijings your beijings and your other towns in china nothing happened there how does it happen and then it jumps from Wuhan all over across the oceans to other international uh, 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 countries how how how, is, how does it happen Kimmel? just answer me how does it happen that it's only Wuhan in china but the other towns in China, nothing there. And the last okay, okay, okay. Okay, fine. You correct me. Fine. You, you correct me. And then the, the last question, the last question, uh, Pimelo, uh, com- comparing uh, uh, the number of uh, infection cases mm-hmm. and the number of deaths. Yes, sir. Up to so far in our country in South Africa since mm-hmm. this thing started, mm-hmm. uh, Pimelo, compare forty-five thousand. Mm. Infection, infection cases mm-hmm. with uh, uh, 1,000 deaths. Mm. In that, in that scenario, can we really say that this thing is so, so dangerous? Can we really say that? Comparing the number okay. of infections. Before you go, Mike, I don't want you to leave yet. I want you to answer two questions. Before you answer, uh, we we get the prof to 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 just answer you. You mm. tell us your theory around what happened in China. But that, let me just tell you, it it was not only Wuhan who had it in China. Mm. Where else in China? Where else? No, no. Other other cities in China had the problem. No, name the places. You, you are, name the no, places. I, I don't. I don't have. I don't have a list. You don't of have the, now, the towns. Now, now, no, no, no. Now, hang on. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. Mm. No, I'm being serious. You know that we are saying, and remember, even and the prof will will will, will tell us this. There was a lot as, of speculation around its origins, but at the moment, all we know is that it comes from a market in Wuhan. It doesn't mean that it only stayed there. In China. No, no, right? no, no, but yeah, Pimelo, I understand you, but I mean, what, what we've seen, even the World Health Organization, mm-hmm. the, the, main, the main focus was in Wuhan. People died there. So many people died there. They never talked about any other town, Beijing and some other towns. It was only Wuhan. So Mike, meaning that... Hold on a minute. Are you saying that you, are you contesting the fact that other towns in China had the virus? Is that what yeah, you're saying? Yeah, because we never, we never heard of other towns. It was only but Wuhan. But where were you, Mike? Professor Fielding, so what's, yes, your th- what's your theory, Mike? What, what do you think happened? What I think is happened because now we even hear from the news and from, from an international scientist and from the World Health Organization itself. What I think it happened is that this thing, they just formed it in mm. the lab and then they failed and then mm. it, it happened to be a scam. And then we are being, mm. we're being uh, instilled with a lot of fear. We're mm. just being filled with a lot of fear. Mm-hmm. And uh, please, Prof. Don't forget to answer me that one, mm. comparing the death number with the infection. I believe my, my theory is that we, we, we're being uh, filled with fear here. We're being scared. We, we must just be fearful, so fearful so that even our social liberties must be taken away from us because this thing 
is being controlled. Even the way they report it, today is this number, tomorrow so many recover it, so, so they just play around with it. I don't believe this thing exists, Penelo. What do you Penelo think is work. happening, Wanamike? I think I think this thing is a made-made, man-made manipulation mm. in cahoots with the World Health Organization so that they must control the population of the world. Mm. And then they bribe the governments of the world to say, you uh, do this in your country. Scare them so much that you, 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 you institute these regulations so that they must get what they want. It's what, only do they, the what do you think they here. want, Mike? Primero, it's only the devil at play because they want to they want to control God's people. That's mm-hmm. why they close down the churches. That's down there. And when you when you close down the churches, mm-hmm. you when you switch off the light, mm-hmm. what remains? Only darkness. Only darkness. So they close down the churches. They scared us. We must be fearful so that they can do whatever they want to do. Hiding behind coronavirus. There's no such thing. I trust in God. There's no such thing. This thing is just a man-made thing so that the people of the world mm. must be put under an immense fear. Mm. So that's, that's, that's my take on it. Thank and Prof, answer me uh, why uh, uh, 40,000 and uh, 800 deaths. Is that the real serious? Is, is that a, a pandemic? Yeah. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. It's Professor Fielding. Yes. You've got a lot to answer to. Yeah? So, so Pamela, those are actually some of the of the theories, conspiracy theories out there. Yeah. Um, and and one of them is that this is a a, a virus, a bat virus mm-hmm. that was studied in the Wuhan lab and it escaped. Mm-hmm. If you look at the at the genetic makeup of this virus and compare to the other ones out there at the moment, it does appear as though this is a naturally evolving virus that jumped from an animal to a person. So the the highest percentage similarity between COVID virus, SARS-2, is to a bat coronavirus, mm-hmm. that middle animal is still missing. So there's no clear evidence at the moment that this was a bat coronavirus that was manipulated in some way and then released into the human population. If you look at the literature, there are some other um, uh, cities and districts in China that reported very high numbers as well. And that's how it spread. Um, remember, we, we're living in a world where international travel happens very quickly. And that's why this virus spread internationally very quickly. And if you look at numbers in particular countries, and you trace it back to where it comes from, you can very clearly see and trace it back to people traveling from a particular area into a different country. So, so that can be very clearly done. I hear what Mike is saying about the numbers. I think it's now 52,000 just over uh, testing confirmed, laboratory confirmed COVID cases and 1,200 deaths. Um, that has been reported as a 2% mortality rate, death rate. It is not a 2% mortality rate. It is a 2% case mortality rate. So it's explain, based on the that, num- explain that difference. So there's a huge difference. We do not know how many people are infected. Remember we spoke about asymptomatic yes. patients yes. and about patients that have symptoms, but they will never be tested because it's very mild. Mm-hmm. We don't know what that number is. We do know that 54,000 people were infected because we have tested and it's confirmed. And 1,200 of those died. So it is a case mortality rate, not a mortality rate. Okay. Once we have a sense of how many people were infected in total, then we will have a mortality rate. It, it, but then that comes back to the question I think somebody uh, brought up last 
week about or the last time we spoke because they were on about autopsies and stuff and how do we know what the person has died of and so yeah. on and so on. Yeah. If if the person never tested for the virus yes. and and passed on and we don't perform the autopsy that somebody was talking about, then I guess we don't really have the right numbers. No, but what is, what is even worse, um, people will just continue living afterwards. Yeah. So remember, somebody who's asymptomatic, yes. so they have no symptoms. Mm. They will happily live on. Somebody with very mild symptoms, they happily live on. So, what so is that percentage? And, and there are some figures coming through from other countries now that saying about 6 to 10% of people in a population have become infected. Okay. That was never known. So, so then... Those are some stats that's coming that's coming out now. So then, could, could it be that some deaths right now are attributed to other things as opposed to COVID nineteen because those people just never bothered to to test prior to their death? So if a person gets, I don't know, high blood pressure or something in that in you know the the comorbidities <laughs> that we're talking about, and then they die, and and that is the cause of death that we record. Exactly, but that person should not be recorded as a COVID death. A COVID but, but, but what if it was the, the death was brought on by, you know, it's that HIV and AIDS thing. The death of this comorbidity was brought on by the fact that they were infected. I hear what you're saying. Yes. That percentage will probably be extremely small. I think, I think many of the COVID deaths that we are reporting, mm -hmm. those are, should not be reported as COVID deaths. Okay. Oh, I see. Wow. Then that, that complicates a lot of stuff. It does complicate many things. Because then you're saying that then we should rather prioritize the comorbidity as the issue, not exactly. COVID. And I've been saying that since day one. We yes. have high risk. A, a section of our population is high risk. Mm -hmm. Let's focus on them. If my child goes to school and I have a high risk individual at home, yes. how do I protect that individual when my child comes back home? So, so the cause of death for you, you'd record it as diabetes, not COVID. Exactly. Goodness. All right, let's just, two more voice notes and then we've got to go. No, 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 Mike. No, we should, we should have only two mics here in SAFM. This mic is killing us now. It's misleading the entire group. There's no virus for only for one. It is for this is at the same time. This is for manipulation. No, no, no. Hi, Pamelo. Mike's theory is going off the rails. The more he talks, the more he goes off the rails. Uh, it really doesn't make sense. Anyway, I just wanted to find out from the prof whether if you're infected once, can you be reinfected again? What are the chances? I. Melo, is it true that all the vertebrates are born with uh, the coronavirus? If it is true, what's the difference with the other coronavirus and this COVID-19? Thank you. All right, Prof, um, there is another question I want just, just for you to think about before we, we, we take your, your responses. Uh, the question is, what causes COVID-19 to spread faster in winter? And it's the same question the researchers have been grappling with, I think, for decades. Why does influenza spread faster during winter? Mm. 
And there is a school of thought that says it has something to do with, uh, with the temperature outside and humidity. I don't think so. I think it is, it is cold outside. Where do you tend to be? Inside. If you're inside, people are closer together and the ah. virus can spread faster. Okay. Got you. I hear that theory. And the, and the other question, um, did you hear the other questions? I don't, what, I think what, the, people... What was going, the last one? Um, the last question, I think we can, we can what play the vertebrae, that every vertebrae has got the virus? Um, no, so that is, that is not correct. So coronaviruses are zoonotic. So different mm. animals would have different coronaviruses. And typically, a coronavirus cannot jump between an animal and a human. Yes. COVID-19 had some mutations in it, and it, it, it merged. It recombined with another virus, and that allowed it to jump from the bat to another animal to human. All right. So it's due to mutations. Professor oh. Fielding, thank you for your patience. I know we test you sometimes. Thank you very much. No, it's, it's always good. Thank you. It's always lovely talking to you, <laughs> Professor Peter Fielding, who's the Director of Research Development at the University of the Western Cape. That uh, that that brings to the end our Q&A around COVID-19 and coronavirus. And Mike, you've been absolutely wonderful to listen to.